Now, thank you so much for being here. I know it's already been said, but hello to all of you who are watching online and on television as well. Um, as we get, uh, we're going to transition into a time in the Word. If you have a Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. And before we get started, I want to make you aware of a couple of things. Number one, uh, very excited that uh, we have our mental health summit entitled Faith Meets Mental Health coming up on the 14th. It'll be uh, happening next Saturday. So excited about this. You know, it was a few years ago that in uh, England, uh, the prime minister appointed a minister of loneliness because uh, they saw loneliness and the mental health issues that come along with that uh, as really a huge problem in their country. And so when we're talking about mental health, we're talking about all kinds of things associated with mental health and it affects every single one of us and every one of our families. And so I'm very excited uh, about this conference. One of the things that we put a group of young people together um, a year ago, really, uh, to discern where was God leading us uh, as a church. And one of the big things that came out of that discernment group uh, was to tackle issues of mental health that are affecting our families. Uh, and so this is one of the things that we are doing uh, to uh, be a part of combating that in kingdom ways. And so please come out and be a part. If you have not registered, you can on the app. Please come out and be a part. We have people from all over the community going to be here. Nate Stewart is going to be here from Minnesota. He has a ministry called Mental Health Pulpit. Uh, and then also we have a special video message from Kay Warren, Rick Warren's wife from Saddleback Church, and many other speakers in breakouts. I'm doing a breakout. Uh, so please, please uh, come and be a part of that. I know it will be a blessing to you. I also want to say thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. You can give on our app. You can give in the room in the back. And uh, just thank you because that is an act of worship. It's not just your support of the church. That's you giving back to a God who's been so generous to you. And so if you would now, let's pray. And then we're going to transition to a time in the Word. Father, thank you so much for your blessing. It's not our blessing. It's yours. And Lord, we have been so blessed in so many ways. And even though we walk through this life and we carry many things that weigh heavily on our heart and mind, you are also doing so many more things that are a blessing and bringing healing and wholeness to us. And so Lord, now would you help us? Would you help us see Christ, just Christ? Through Christ we pray. And everybody said, amen. As we get started, I want to say happy Mother's Day. And in many ways, being a mother today is under attack. The whole idea of motherhood and redefining terms, it's all under attack. Not just the family as a whole, but motherhood in particular. And being a mother, whether a biological mother, an adoptive mother, or a foster mother, is a divine gift of grace. And it is an awesome, and yet many times heavy responsibility. And so I want you to hold your applause, if you would, Please hold your applause. But if you're a mother in the room, would you please stand at this moment? Please hold your applause. To all the mothers watching online, on television, to those of you in the room, on behalf of the rest of us, I want to apologize for a few things. I want to say I'm sorry for those moments when you feel unseen. I want to say I'm sorry for those moments when no one tells you thank you. I want to say I'm sorry for those moments when you are unappreciated. I want to say I'm sorry for those moments when the sacrifices that you have made, and there have been many, go unnoticed. 
I wanna say I'm sorry when gratitude does not flow from our lips as it should each day in appreciation for you. I wanna say I'm sorry for you if you're grieving the loss of your mother or maybe you're at odds with your mother or maybe you're just broken as a mother or maybe you've experienced the unthinkable pain of losing a child as a mother. God chose motherhood to bring his son, our savior, into the world, which means your role is not just special, it is sacred. And so today, I wanna say you are seen by us. We thank you, we love you, and we honor you today. Now, congregation, will you join me in honoring our mothers? Yeah. Thank you. Luke chapter two. Today I want to talk to you about the topic of a grace-filled life, and you'll understand why I choose this phrase, grace-filled, here in just a moment. I want us to skim through Luke chapter two, starting in verse 22. What we see, it says, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, they being Joseph and Mary, him being Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So right here what we see, we see three characters in this story. We see Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And this moment that we normally talk about around Christmas time it is Jesus coming and being presented in the temple. But then enters another character in verse 25. It says, now there was an, uh, a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And he, the text describes him as righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then in verse 26 it says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So right there, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he saw the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah that was coming into the world. And then in this moment, what we see is Simeon meets Joseph and Mary. He meets Joseph and Mary, the parents and the child Jesus, it says in verse 27. In verse 26, it says he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. In this moment, he recognized, he knows who this boy is. He is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. He takes him up into his arms and he blesses God. And then, not only that, in verse 34, it says, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then in verse 36, another character enters the story. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna. It, the text tells us that she's the daughter of Phanu of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, the telling of the story. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him, him being Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
Now, this scene, again, that we normally talk about around Advent or Christmas time, I think is very important for us. And this lady, Anna, who we only get a few verses about in the entire Bible, her life speaks to us in some powerful ways. She is one of the first spiritual mothers of the church. She is here at this moment where Jesus is literally coming into the world. She's at the beginning of the incarnation. And while we only get a few verses about her, again, these few verses are powerful. You see, the name Anna means grace. It means grace. And what Anna teaches us in three verses is how to live a grace-filled life. And what are the components of a grace-filled life? What does a grace-filled life look like? She shows us, I wanna point out eight characteristics of a grace-filled life from Anna's life. If you'd like to take notes, point number one is this, is that Anna knew her place in God's kingdom. Anna knew her place in God's kingdom. Anna was a prophetess, that is a female prophet. Yes, they had those things back then and today, by the way. She's a female prophet, and a prophet, the role of a prophet, was to speak the word of God to the people of God on behalf of God, to speak the word of God to the people of God on behalf of God. And Anna knew her role in this kingdom, the kingdom of God. You see, Anna is a woman in the first century world. Living in the first century world, she would have been considered by her society, the society around her, as a nobody. Not only was she lower class, she had no class. She had no standing in society. Absolutely none, no place. But in God's kingdom, she had a place. And what Anna teaches us is that no matter how society defines us, no matter what society says about us, that we have a place in God's kingdom. And it's, it's God's grace that reveals us and takes us on that journey to where we find our place in God's kingdom. You may be sitting here today thinking, there's no place for me, or I'm not sure what it is I'm called to do. When it, if you really boil it down, when we find ourselves in that place where we do not know where our place is in God's kingdom, it, there's probably one of two reasons. Either number one, we're really not a part of the kingdom. We just attend kingdom stuff. And that's just being very honest. We have to be honest with ourselves and ask, am I really a part of God's kingdom? Do I really believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose for my salvation? Do I really have the Holy Spirit living in me? We have to be honest and ask that question. And sometimes we find out that's not the case. I just attend kingdom stuff. But the first one is, am I really a part of the kingdom? The second question is, am I really looking hard enough? I really believe that God always does his part in helping us both come into a relationship with him, that's salvation, but also living for him, that's our vocation. He always, always does his part. And so if something is happening in our life where that is not connecting, we should not point our finger at God. I think we should point our finger at ourselves and look within. Anna knew her place in the kingdom of God. When society was telling her she, there was no place for her, God was saying, yes, there is, and she knew it. The second point is that Anna lived with grief. Anna lived with grief. She was married for seven years. She is 84 at the time of this text. She was widowed all those years in between. Say she was married at 13, which was uh, part of the custom of the day. She was married till she was 20, and then she lived from 20 to 84 as a widow, 64 years. Or you can give or take a few, depending on when her wedding was. See, Anna not only understood grief, Anna understood prolonged grief, prolonged grief. Living with grief, not just for a few days, not just for a few weeks, but for an entire lifetime, for decades of time. 
But what Anna shows us is that God's grace finds us. Yes, it finds us where we are, but it stays with us. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, God's grace stays with us. And it sustains us and it brings healing and wholeness to our life, just as it did in her life. It's God's grace that helps us endure these moments of pain in our life. You know, the truth is, is that living in the kingdom, she knew her place. So many times we think that that will somehow shield us from the pains of life. But it doesn't. It does not. And while she knew her place in the kingdom, while she was a prophetess who spoke to God's people on his behalf, she was still a person who lived with grief, with pain, with memories that she may have woke up in the morning thinking about every day, or she may have laid her head down on the pillow at night thinking about. Because we're not exempt from the rawness of life, and we live in a very fallen world. And that is true for all of us. But she knew her place. But she was a woman who lived with grief, as many of us are living with it right now. Number three, though, Anna was devoted to God and his house. It's interesting that we see in verse 37 that she did not depart from the temple. It's very interesting. So many times in life, what happens is when we go through hard times, when we go through pain points in life, many times we allow that to drive us away from God, not Anna. Anna let the pain in her life draw her to God, draw her to God. And so we see a deep devotion to God and his house his place of worship, his space. And what we see is that God's grace draws us into God's space, his presence, if, if we will let it. But not just in kind of some ethereal way out there of like, oh yes, I'm a child of God in some way. No, she was physically there on location. And again, again, so many times in life, we feel like that when life does not go our way, that, that it's either God's fault or maybe God's mad at me or something like that. But, but in this moment, Anna is drawing close to God. And the truth is, some of the greatest tests in life that we will ever go through, they're not in the victories of life, they're in the losses of life. And they are painful when they happen. I don't like it, you don't like it. But it's a part of the life. We live in a real world. It's a part of the life we live. And we have to be honest about that. And in those moments, make sure, make sure that we're letting the pain points in life draw us closer to God. Because in those moments, Scripture tells us he's closer to us in beautiful and powerful ways. In this moment, we see Anna being devoted to the temple, which means she's devoted to God's calendar more than the cultural calendar. At its basic level in the first century, for a first century Jew, it means that she was devoted to Shabbat, to the Sabbath. We as Christians, we are devoted to the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. That's the day of resurrection. That's at its basic level, but Anna takes it so much further. She's not just in the temple at certain points of the year and at certain days of the week. No, no, she's there day and night, it says. Day and night. This is a deep devotion that goes beyond just having a quiet time in the morning. Again, it's, it's not just something she does out there. It's, she's on location in the presence of God here. And so she knows her place in the kingdom, but she's a real person. She lives with grief. Number three, again, she was devoted to God in his house. But number four was this. What this devotion led her to was that Anna was a passionate worshiper. A passionate worshiper. 
It says that in verse 37 that she did not depart from the temple and she was worshiping night and day. Worshiping night and day. You see, God's grace, when it is at work in our life, it produces passionate worship. I'm talking about passionate worship. This, it, it, you gotta understand for Anna, God was the center and circumference of her life. Everything revolved around worshiping this God who was sending the Messiah. See, she understood that Yahweh was sending his promised one into the world. And she trusted God for that because God makes promises and he keeps the promises that he makes. And so she was a passionate worshiper night and day. But notice what goes along with her worship here. I love the detail. It says she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting. With fasting is the first thing it said. She's worshiping with fasting. Point number five is that Anna denied herself to grow closer to God. That's what fasting does. You see, God's grace draws us in beyond our natural desires and needs. So we start desiring, we have supernatural desires and needs. And that's what fasting does. Fasting is the means to that end where we experience supernaturally God change us in amazing ways. And by denying ourselves physically, that's when we have powerful and radical encounters with God. You see, we deny ourselves of the necessities of life so that we can experience his excellencies in this life. And God invites all of us into that, but Anna is an example of it. She is someone, she knows her place in the kingdom. She is a real flesh and blood person. She's living with grief, just like we all do in one form or another. But her devotion pushes her to worship. And in her worship, she is fasting so that she may grow closer to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But not only is she fasting, it says, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Fasting and prayer Number six is that Anna met with God in the house of prayer. It was Jesus who said that my father's house should be a house of prayer. You see, God's grace was drawing her into prayer, that conversation of communion that she was having with the father where we use feeble words just feeble language, but then God reveals and he, he reveals and illustrates to us the knowledge and wisdom of heaven that we need. And it's in these moments of worshiping with fasting and with prayer that God speaks to us and the soul of our heart is cultivated in ways that are actually mind-blowing. And speaking of our mind, it's in those moments when our mind, we truly have the mind of Christ. So when the things that are going on around us happen, all of a sudden, we're not knocked off kilter. But also when there are these moments when Jesus shows up, we're ready for them. You see, because Anna was a person, she knew her place in the kingdom. Yes, she was real. She was living with grief, but she was devoted to God. She was worshiping. She was fasting. She was praying. This is what allowed her in this moment to point number seven, immediately recognize Jesus. Anna immediately recognized Jesus. How amazing is that? As soon as we read verse 37, verse 38 says, and coming up at that very hour, she began giving thanks to God. She knew what was happening in that moment. She knew that the Messiah was now here. And she recognized him. I wonder how many people 
How many people did Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus walk by going into the temple and people just looked at them as if they were another family? And of, of course, we're not talking about physical recognition here. We're talking about a spiritual recognition. She knew who this was. I think you and I have to ask the question and challenge ourselves. If Jesus walked in the door right now, would we recognize him? Would the spirit of God that is in us leap and rejoice because the presence of Jesus is here? I think it's a serious question we must ask ourselves. Anna, because she knew her place in the kingdom, in spite of the reality of her life, because she was a worshiper, fasting and praying night and day, she was ready for this moment when she had the chance to encounter him. And when Jesus is carried in, not walked in, he's a baby, carried in in this moment, she knows who he is. And then not only that, verse 38 tells us that Anna was the, one of the first evangelists for Jesus. One of the first evangelists for Jesus. It says that she began giving thanks to God and to speak of him, him being Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. In this moment, Anna is thanking God. She is rejoicing, and then she starts telling people the Messiah is now here. And notice her message. Her message is not some, hey, let me give you some positive spirituality tips that'll make you feel better about yourself. That's not her message. Her message is about redemption, meaning you need to be saved. The redemption of Jerusalem, it says. The redemption of God's people. Her message was not just something to make people feel good. No, it is that we are sinners. We need a Messiah, and he has now come. That was her message. She didn't soften it up you know, to make people want to be a part of it and draw a crowd so she could take up big offerings, although I'd like one today. So, Come on, lighten up. That was funny. But I really would. No, let's just move on. Move on. Notice that Anna, let me put it to you this way. When you have experienced God's grace, I'm not talking about someone telling you uh, just, just that God will overlook your sin. No, no, no. When you've experienced God's life-changing, sin-forgiving grace, you tell people about it. You tell people about it. See, we're all evangelists for something. You find a product you like, you tell people about it. You, you find a car you like, you tell people about it. We, we all evangelize. And when we experience the radical grace of God like Anna has in her life, like Anna did in her life, and we engage with that grace through worship and prayer and fasting in those moments, we tell people. And when we encounter the Messiah, the grace that was given to her to experience this historical moment. That's what the word gospel means. It means a history-changing event. She experienced this moment and she went and told others. And Anna teaches us to do the same. If we are in that place where we know our place in the kingdom, even though we all are living with our own grief, we're all living with our own baggage, we're all living with our own pain, absolutely, absolutely. But if we know our place in the kingdom, we are devoted to God, we worship him passionately, we are fasting and praying night and day so that we are in communion with God. When Jesus shows up, we will recognize him. And then we will go tell others. So many times we don't share the good news with other people. 
It's because we don't have any good news, any current good news, any current experiences with him in our own life. And he wants so much more for us. You know, if I could step back and I, I could just summarize Anna's, uh, what we see about Anna here, or if she could walk in the door and tell us some advice, I would summarize it with three things. I think what Anna teaches us is, number one, that the circumstances of life do not have to derail our devotion. The circumstances of life do not have to derail our devotion. So many times, whenever we find ourselves drifting from God, we immediately start talking about all the things that are going on out there in my life. We use the cultural buzzword of busy, right? It's like, every, like okay, everybody's busy. Yes, I get it, I get it. But all of a sudden, we start looking something outside of us to blame. And what Anna teaches us is that the circumstances of life do not have to derail our devotion to God. Anna lives under the brutal occupation of Rome. Anna lives with the injustice of the religious elite, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Anna lives with a broken family. Anna lives with the, with, uh, the possibility, at least, of the isolation of widowhood. Anna lives in this, in this state, in a, in, in a country in a, a whole region that's completely unstable, and yet she's faithful. If anybody had an excuse to let the circumstances of life derail her devotion to God, it was Anna, and it was this time period in history, and yet it didn't. The second thing I think she would say to us is that our devotion is our decision. Your devotion is your decision. My devotion is my decision. Our devotion is our decision. No one can make it for you but we must all make it one way or another. And see, devotion happens. I believe true devotion happens in its completeness when grace is not just something we receive, but it's something we give. When we are recipients of God's divine grace, but we also give it to others. That will, that's what we see in the life of Anna. We receive grace so that we can live it, but we live it so that we can give it to other people. And the third thing I think she would say is that our decisions determine the memories we make and the memories we leave. The memories we make and the memories we leave. You see, Anna's legacy is one, uh, the word's not in the text, but I, I would say it's one of divine joy. Divine joy. To spend time night and day in the presence of God is divine joy. And it makes us have to ask the question, what are the memories that we're making and we're leaving? What is the legacy that we're leaving? If I could put it this way, what are you joying in in life? And once you find out what you put, what, what gives you joy and where you get joy in life, the second question you have to ask is, do you get to take that thing into eternity with you? Is it something that is divine? Is it something that will exist in heaven? For Anna, it was. It was not joy in all the things of life that, that we could put or get our, try to get our joy from. It was joy in God, who she will spend eternity with. And the question I wanna leave you with, and go back to her name, Anna means grace. The question I wanna leave you with is, do you wanna live your life graceful or grace-filled, there's a world of difference between those two. Most of the time, what we wanna do is we wanna live life grace 
full. We want to be kind of savvy at business and winsome in relationships so that a lot of people like us. But to be grace-filled, filled to overflowing, that's a whole other way to live. It produces a passion in us that goes beyond simply trying to survive life. It produces a passion in us for a God that would call us to not just look at what are the minimums of life, of religious life, but it pushes us to give our whole self, devote our whole self passionately in worship and prayer and fasting, even night and day. It's a high calling. And it's something that God is calling us to. The question we have to wrestle with is what does that look like? We could settle for a graceful life. But I think there's something to this grace-filled life that will lead to a radically different end, even in this life. And again, that decision, the decision about our devotion, that's up to us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the ways in which you call out to us and invite us into this relationship that's only by grace. But Lord, your grace, while it may meet us right where we are, it does not leave us alone and it changes us in powerful and beautiful ways. I pray today we see the example of Anna and I pray that that would speak to us. That even though we're living in a, in a harsh world that is full of sin, you call us to so much more. And may the legacies that we leave behind as individuals, as families, as churches, may they be something more than people liked us. May we be full of your grace, that we may give your grace as we have received it. Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. I pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said,